to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I'm very excited to introduce my guest today here to speak with me about Samson and Delilah, Judges 16. I have Jamie Stewart. Welcome, Jamie. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, oh, thanks for asking. It's a pleasure. Well, um, before we get into the, uh, the book, can you tell people a little bit about yourself and um, how has faith played a part in your life? Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm probably on the show because I uh, play in a band called uh, Shushu for about the last 20 years. And I, I, my religious background is, well, to me, kind of interesting. My mom grew up an atheist, but when she had children, um, became kind of profoundly struck by what it meant to feel that kind of love and then became um, a, a probably pretty middle of the road, normal, not overly enthusiastic, but nor overly flexible Lutheran, but now has become kind of more spiritual, I guess. And my dad grew up as a very hardcore Catholic. And unfortunately, as is the case for a lot of people who uh, have religion drummed into them too hard, he abandoned it when he was young and then came back to it uh, kind of at the, through my mom. And um, before he died, was, you know, pretty sort of Christian, but sort of, you know, had some Eastern aspects, Eastern philosophy influencing his thought too. Um, and they brought me up in a very kind of middle of the road Lutheran church. And, um, but the interesting part to me was, um, my growing up was very chaotic and very difficult. Um, but my parents presented religion to me as something to, to turn to in the face of that chaos and difficulty, as opposed to, uh, sort of being a means of, of uh, social control or a, a means of, of disciplining uh, me as a kid. Um, so fortunately for me, I have always had a very positive experience with it. And I, and I know that that's why as, you know, as an adult, it's a practice I have maintained. Um, I think probably at this point in my life, I tend to believe in whatever manifestation of or I, mean, I don't. I don't believe in sort of a specific manifestation of God or goddess or or gods. I I think that there is. It could be anything, and I'm I'm open to all possibilities. And I I uh, I think I, I I tend to think about God in fairly amorphous but faith faith based terms. Uh, I grew up, you know, as I went to regular parochial schools, and I, I grew up with a familiarity of the Bible, but it's not a huge part of my religious life now. Um, but I, I, you know, as a as a as a guide and as a work of literature, um, I I think it is a, it's a it's a it's a pretty fascinating document. It is it is a good book. I mean, aside from being you know as as, <laughs> as they say, the good book, the good it's, book. it's yeah. a good book too. Um, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. I I think you're absolutely right in that. Um, a lot of people that uh, have. Uh, experienced religion being kind of wielded against them as a means of like punishment or a means of uh, social control, I think was a phrase you used, that can really um, screw you up in a lot of ways and make you feel alienated from what should be, I think, a very fulfilling and kind of like life-giving practice. 
Uh, and it, while, of course, over the course of our lives, our opinions on the matter change, we become more and less, more or less, like uh, engaged with certain practices. I think that, like, ultimately, being able to still see. It's like sort of a flip side of agnosticism or something, being able to see that, like, I'm open to this possibility, though I don't know that I have this particular view of it. It's not like I'm not sure that I believe in it because I can't pin it down. It's like it could be anything. And I'm 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 happy about that. Yeah, that's that's kind of my personal take. But I I mean, but I don't think that anyone who has a strong or particular codified belief, uh, you know, I mean, as long as it's not hurting anybody else. I mean, I I don't I, I don't think that. You know, a defined path is wrong or any path is wrong, really, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. I think that, that just for me, this is the one that makes the most sense. Yeah, I've had um, I've had I've been fairly open, I think, on episodes past about my belief in. Um, yeah, what's you, yours? Well, I'm, I'm a Christian um, as you know, as as much so as it means like I pray to Jesus and I I really admire like Catholic um, liturgical prayer practices. And while I don't, I don't particularly identify uh, like with the Catholic church, the papacy kind of bothers me in a way that's going to, um, that's going to piss off some of the people that listen to the show. (laughs) But the, 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 um, my belief is in, you know, a singular God and this sort of like triune God of, of, you know, the, the father and the son and the Holy spirit. But, but I am so completely open to this notion that like, salvation or eternal life or the possibility for, um, God to like act in, in ways that can help us or give us like strength in life can come from any, uh, denomination. It can come from any, uh, uh, belief system because the, the God that I pray to is this sort of universal God. It doesn't necessarily mean that like I have to someone would need to pray a certain way. This is just the way that I pray. It's the way that makes sense to me. Yeah, my, my, my zone is pretty similar. I mean, I, I still, I think because I grew up Christian, I think probably my most central tenet is based in Christianity. And I, you know, I do, I think sort of manifest the idea of God as Jesus, because that's just the one, you know, the sort of figure I feel the most familiar and most comfort with, um, you know, but also sometimes other ones or other forms or manifestations. And I mean, I go to an Episcopal church, which is you know, like the most normal church you can go to. <laughs> um, but the one, the one I go to is uh, uh, the reason I like it is it's, it's a, uh, it's very ritual, ritual based. It's very, very traditional. It's, it's incredibly liberal, but the service is incredibly traditional. Um, and it's, it's almost more, it almost becomes like kind of like a meditative place. I mean, the sermons, I don't, they have a different person doing the sermon each time. And frankly, the sermons are kind of a little meandering, <laughs> but it's, it's sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, the music is, is wonderful and getting to be in that space and getting to be around other people. And, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's much more of a, at least for me, it's more of a place for reflection than necessarily, um, uh, you know, getting, getting a particular message. I wish that their sermons were great. Then it would be <laughs> totally perfect, but you know, it's, it's pretty close. <laughs> the, the Episcopals, the Episcopals took like, um, a lot of the aspects of Catholicism as far yeah, as yeah, the sort yeah. of meditative prayer practices and the, the, the ritual and things like that. And they do it really, really well. Um, and, and I think if I were to just probably like identify with a de- denomination, it would probably be that one. But, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes the power of being in a place of worship, 
especially places with all of the high arches and stained glass and 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 these candles just everywhere and um you know these intense uh paintings of of uh joy and tragedy and uh you know it's it's almost like it's soul fulfilling even if you're not necessarily saying hail marys while you're there uh the catholic church catholic churches are just beautiful yeah europe uh europe got that right a long time ago stuck with it so stop messing stop making them look like rec centers please (laughs) (laughs) my my sister who's a probably a much more traditional or certainly a much more traditional Christian than I am. Um, yet the, the church that she go to, that she goes to used to be a Harley Davidson star, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but you know, she, she loves it. It's, it's exactly the right place for, you know, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't look like one, but if you went outside, it, it, you could, you would see how it could have been. <laughs> um, but it's, it's exactly the right, the right spot for her. I'm, I'm glad she found it. That is really the, the the primary movement in American Christianity right now is mega churches, like not mega churches. I suppose that one's probably not a mega church necessarily, but this church, it's like it's a very modernized version of Christianity. The music is very modern. It sounds like top 40 hits, you know, a lot of stomping yeah. and clapping and, and uh, you know, raising your hands in the air, millennial howls and whatnot. So, I mean, economically, it totally makes sense. I mean, as beautiful and wonderful as I think cathedrals are. Holy cats! That's the money that could have been better spent. Um, so I, yeah. I think it has a lot to do with that. But that said, I, as you described, I get I personally get a lot out of being in a space that is that researched and focused to give you that exact experience. Yeah, whatever whatever it is that you're there to to feel, it enhances that feeling in a way, which is I think like well, you know what I would believe to be like this is the power of prayer is like if you it's enhancing whatever uh, you're striving for uh, doesn't solve all of your problems uh, all the time. That would be great. But sometimes it's just like I need comfort here is here is that comfort that I'm seeking. Would I maybe have found that comfort otherwise? Yes, probably, but here's a way that I know how to do it. Here's a routine that I know how to find to, to, to get there. Yeah. Well, uh, we should. This is a lot of text, so we should probably dive into this. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. I want to give a little bit of background here on Samson and Delilah because the story itself doesn't actually begin. Samson's story does not begin in in Judges 16. It begins in Judges 13. And and Judges, for just a quick background on the book, is. Written in a time, it's like it's sort of a pseudo historical account of a time when the Israelites didn't really have a king, that the the, the royal line had kind of ended, and the um, the people that took over to run the country were what they called judges, and the judges weren't really um, judges like we think of them with like a gavel or whatever, right? They they were um, more like military generals. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And as you might expect from military generals running any nation, it's absolute chaos the entire time uh, because they're not the sort of people that are suited to, to run a society. Right. Um, and so Samson was um, was one of the judges, one of the people that, that was sort of ruling over the nation of the Israelites. And at the time, there was a particularly contentious sort of feud going on uh, with the Philistines, who were uh, a nation of people that worshipped a different god with a different name, and and sometimes it's easy to lose sight of this when we're reading the Bible. But like, 
the God that the Israelites were worshiping was Yahweh. But there were a lot of other societies that worshipped a sort of a singular God. They just called it a different thing, and they were praying to it in a different way. And um, a lot, you know, everyone was making animal sacrifices at this point. So everything's very blood-soaked at this time. So that's important to remember for context. But uh, Samson, during this feud with the Philistines, has killed a thousand, at least a thousand men. Right before 16, you'll see in actually Judges 15, 15, uh, the ESV says he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. That's He killed 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. I'm trying to picture this in my head, and I'm having a little trouble. When I was in, in junior high, my, my math teacher was also the religion teacher, and whenever she uh, she was she was kind of a, a, a cut-up, and whenever we read this, which seemed to be yearly, She'd always scream to the class, he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of an ass. And of course, it's 12 year olds. So we thought this was hilarious. <laughs> Although murdering a thousand people is not hilarious. No, to be absolutely clear. And and more people wind up dying at the end of this, even more, uh, which is and the way they describe it is like it's so tragic. Like he's he's basically like a like a like the Unabomber or something. He like takes down an entire uh, well, we'll wow. get to that, but he, he takes down an entire building full of people uh, praying, which is like kind of fucked up when you think about it. I mean, that's like, wow. Oh, <laughs> right. Really. Yeah, that's the end, that's the end of the uh, of the story. So, um, but the the feud itself kind of began um, off the back of uh, Samson um, falling for this woman who was a Philistine, and um, and his best man or best man in quotation marks, you know, the, the cultural implications of, of that are different, but, uh, ran away with Samson's woman essentially. And it became this, this feud between these two nations and it grew and grew and grew. And then he killed some of them and they killed some of, some of the Israelites and, and, uh, and they would always be trying to catch him. Like they were always, always just chasing Samson down. And, uh, and obviously, he was a very strong man. That's that's what most people associate with Samson and Delilah, right? That this is a strong guy. He's a really, he's a big, hulking, handsome. I think the idea that people have in their heads is like this is just like this biblically handsome man with a giant muscles and who's who's just um, you know fighting the good fight for the people, uh, which is obviously wrong. But that's how that's how it's sort of been cast in the in the cultural mindset. Um, he was insecure. He was, um, he was physically very strong, uh, was very vulnerable to, to people kind of getting his goat and, and pissing him off. And, um, and in that way, I think that if you, knowing that detail makes this story a lot funnier and a lot more complicated, funny again, probably <laughs> not the right word. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, let's get to 16 and, and we'll, I'll try to continue to give context along the way, because without all this, background, uh, this can be sort of this whitewash story of a, a guy who gets taken advantage of by some harlot. And it's so much more complicated than that. Um, okay, so at uh, chapter 16, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. That's usually the biblical phrase for them having sex. Uh, the Gazites were told Samson has come here and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. 
But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in the front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So he's a he's a playboy, right? He goes from, from woman <laughs> to woman, from town to town. And, and I mean, he is the judge of the country, the, the leader of the country at that time. So I suppose that's his right. But um, uh, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we may give, uh, we may each give you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound and that one could subdue you. This line cracks me up and she repeats it four times. Can you imagine for a moment, Jamie, being in a relationship with someone (laughs) (laughs) and say, and they say, they turn to you and say, how can I take all of your power away? Just flat, flat out asks. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're very strong right now, but how can I subdue you? Um, I might, I might think twice about making that a serious endeavor. Be it a, a consensual, uh, you know, subduing, sure, perhaps, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, maybe that's what she meant. In this scenario, it comes off a little kinky. She's just like, come on, man, please, this is my thing. You've got to let me do it. <laughs> Samson's trying to be good giving and game, and yet... Right. <laughs> So uh, at verse seven, what Samson says to her is, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I, will, I, I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the Lord of the Philistines brought up to her or brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush on an inner chamber, and she said to him, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." Uh, but he snapped the bowstrings. As a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. So very quickly we learn he lied the first time. Uh, as you do when someone is appearing to want to take away all of your strength and, and subdue you. Right. Yeah. And the first red flag, aside from the, the subduing, would have been, okay, so all of a sudden the Philistines are here. Why are they here? Yeah. I, yeah, I think I would have wondered as well. And yet, he stays. Uh, <laughs> he's very he's, he's very forgiving. He's and he's so taken for Delilah. She must have been a very beautiful woman. That is, yeah. He's hypnotized, <laughs> as we all have been. Oh yes, of course. Um, so once again. Uh, she's going to ask. She says, Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes, bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were <laughs> in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. So once again. So like, is is Samson just super dumb or is Delilah super dumb? <laughs> <laughs> the whole plot 
and and this is like where I try not to be. I, I'm a little. I do. I do a little bit of heresy every day. I think I'm a. I'm a little <laughs> bit of a. <laughs> I do a little bit of, of uh, of that every day. But I feel like in my mind, a lot of these Old Testament stories are so cartoonish to me. Like I'm picturing the like. Uh, the Philistines like huddled in a corner, just like waiting, like, oh, we're going to get him this time. And uh, big, you know, big hulking Samson is going, no, I'm not, I'm far too strong for this. Um, it's hard not to picture, it's it's comical in a way. And, it, and I mean, it kind of plays into the absurdity of the story up until this point where he, yeah, kills a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass, uh, a, a, a prospect. There is a, there is a moment where Samson ties the, um, tails of 300 foxes together, lights them on fire, and has them run into a group of Philistines. Jeez. Yeah, it's troubling, right? I mean, that's that that image alone is is like because I'm I'm a big animal lover, so that of course bothered me a lot. But um, th- it's hard not to picture all of this stuff as just some some it wild. It is so fantastical that it does become compelling. I mean, maybe maybe that is the point of the story that. The fantastical nature keeps keeps you around to try and get to what the actual message is. The um the tension that I find with it is that it is a historical point in time, like one that can be in some way, right. not necessarily the details of the story, but one that can in some way be pinned down to a particular time period. Um so then to say, well, we know this time period happened. But why then is it that the story was told from generation to generation to generation that this is what happened? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I think um, I heard someone interpreting a lot of these stories as like nations feuding, like the, the stories of the individuals in the Old Testament are often not about the individuals themselves. They're about these social issues that were going on at the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I have I, I'm having a hard time picturing the... Um, the social, like what metaphor they might be drawing here for this particular struggle. Uh, what was, who was Delilah, if not a very beautiful woman who was uh, very convincing? Uh, okay, so where did I leave off? I'm, I'm losing track of things because I'm uh, just the first, so much. first thing of the ropes of the. Uh, uh, yes. So he uh, snapped the ropes of his arms like a thread. So that verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Until now, you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me, tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. Um, the web is a difficult phrase for me. Is that like, like a, like a loom? I think I, I had always assumed it was a, like a spider's web. Oh, okay. I'm looking for if there's anything that the NRSV. Yeah. Oh, it does say actually right here on uh, the NRSV footnotes. It does say the web and the pin were parts of a loom. Oh, interesting. So it must have been part of a something to so so tie. That seems much more plausible. (laughs) (laughs) Also, how hard could it be to free your hair from a spider's web? I mean, I've I've gotten my hair in in spiders. I'm pretty tall, so when I walk through doorways, <laughs> a little shrieking, a little brushing of your forehead. Yeah. So he's he's pinned there, uh, and 
of course, we learn again, that's not the way that you that you get Samson down. Uh, he he frees himself once again. The Philistines uh, spring on him, and this for a third time, they do this, and Samson's still hanging out with Delilah, going surely. This couldn't be my woman that is inspiring these attacks. <laughs> She's just trying to get freaky with me, right? Yeah, I can't imagine what he's thinking at this point. That that's the hardest thing, the the hardest like um logical and maybe I shouldn't be trying to to logically leap anywhere in stories like this. Probably a better bet. <laughs> yeah, I mean I do try to go like uh, why? <laughs> what are we <Right>. doing? <laughs> um so we're approaching the, the the end of this particular story, uh, but it's got a lot of kind of twists and turns here. So going back to 14, while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, and he pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. Uh, and I'm also picturing, like, whose loom is it? Does she sew? Is he, is he a... A seamster, a tailor. What? What do you call it? Seems that's beside oh. the point. <laughs> a, a male weaver, a weaver. That would be a, a, lum- a luminosity. <laughs> Verse fifteen. Oh, yeah, weaver, weaver. That's, that's a weaver. That's got to be weaver, right? Um, at fifteen, and she said to him, "How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times." And you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And I want to pause again here. Have you? Are you familiar with the Nazarite pledge? No. Uh-uh. So this is, uh, or sorry, Nazarite vow. This is something that is actually a callback to number six. Uh, there is a bit in a conversation that Yahweh or God is having with Moses, talking about uh, a way to bring oneself and dedicate oneself fully and closer to God, and it sounds a bit like. Um, it sounds a bit like a, like a hunger, uh, not a hunger strike, it was like a fast, like a spiritual fast or something. But there's mm-hmm. also an element of not getting your hair cut. So uh, Samson's parents, like many people in the Bible, were not able to conceive or they, they had trouble conceiving. And so they were actually told um, an angel came to them like so many of these other couples. An angel came to them and said, you're going to do it, but listen there are rules to this. Uh, you have to not drink. Uh, you have to um, not eat unclean meats. You have to follow these particular guidelines, and then you'll be able to have this kid. But then the kid must also follow these rules. So I wanted to read. Is it okay if I read a little bit of this number six? No, oh, yeah, yeah, please. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, 
and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All of the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. I'm assuming this means beard and hair. Uh, until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Really weird requirement. Uh, not even for his father or for his mother or for his brother or sister. If they die, uh, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. And all the days of separation, he is holy to the Lord. So no dead bodies, uh, no haircuts, no grapes. Odd, odd bit of rulemaking, but this is actually how Samson becomes as strong as he does. Uh, the idea is that making this vow is is what is what brings the Lord to be with you, like puts puts God's strength in you, and this is actually how he's he's grown so strong. I I'm picturing so like earlier when I said that Samson was uh, this like a comic book character, like super strong man. I was picturing yeah. him with like a like a crew cut or like one of those quaffed like a, like a Superman kind of hair hairdo. Right, right. But in reality, this guy looked like like uh, Fabio. Like Grizz- yeah, like Grizzly Adams even because he, he couldn't oh, shave oh, his right. beard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The beard too. Yeah. Giant beard, huge hair. Um, and at this point in his life, I mean, his hair must have been down to his ass. I mean, um, this is a. Uh, it's actually a very funny image when you picture it that way. Rather than this, like, oh, he's. I think there was a, a pretty famous. Did you ever see the movie uh, of Samson and Delilah? That was pretty popular at one point in the fifties or something. Was it the seventies? I think it was. Oh, maybe, maybe. I, don't, I might be mixing it up with a bunch of other stuff like that. I I think. I mean, I I do have some very specific visual images for this that seem as if they were in a movie. So it's certainly possible. So this is it. yeah. It says nineteen forty nine, and it's actually a oh. Cecil B. DeMille movie. Oh, I'm um, kidding. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, well, Angela Lansbury is in it. That's kind of cool. I didn't know that. But oh, um, the character of Samson is played by Victor. Well, his last name is Mature, but it's probably not the right way to pronounce that. Um, but again, like I said, like that's, that's exactly what he looks like in this movie. He's got short, short cropped hair. Uh, I mean, he looks, well, he's Italian. Um, which is like the Hollywood's way of escaping the fact that all these people were not white and yet right. they, they don't want to <laughs> cast actual Arabs in any of these movies. But yeah, that's like part of part of why I think we we have a hard time imagining how what the society was actually like. There's like dead bodies everywhere. They have to make vows not to be near dead bodies, like even if their family is dying because people are just dying all around them constantly. The life expectancy is extremely short, despite yeah. the fact that some of these biblical characters live to 800 or something like that. Oh, anyway, sorry, I'm getting lost in the details here. They're interesting. <laughs> so uh, so this is why Samson is is so strong. He's made this, this vow. And now Delilah understands uh, that... All she has to do is cut his hair, which is a pretty easy task. When somebody falls asleep, you can you can usually chop a little bit off without them noticing. In your experience. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> I guess I'm saying this like I've done it before. <laughs> I was um, I was asked to do a show that someone does called Welcome to Jackass, and it's a it's a podcast about the show Jackass. Uh-huh. And there was <laughs> there was a clip that we watched where um, one of them was sleeping, and they would they would take the buzzers and just kind of chop their chop their head off. That's what that actually chop their head off, chop their hair off. <laughs> And that's what they're watching. Jackass Extreme. (laughs) Total decapitation. (laughs) Oh, these movies are getting out of hand. (laughs) Uh, So, um, diving back in, when Delilah said that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the Lord to the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And they're all going, Come on. Dude, four times. Are you serious? (laughs) But anyway, they gather in their they gather in their little their little huddle, like it's got to work this time. Uh, how could it possibly fail four times? Uh, she made him she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. So in my mind, I was actually imagining her doing the haircutting, but apparently oh, somebody yeah, that's else. That's what did I had it. always pictured too. Yeah. So somebody else had done it. Uh, and then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. What do you think torment means in this in this particular scenario, that she began to torment I mean, him after? Probably she realizes that she was successful and is, is mocking him now because he can't do anything about it. That's what I would assume. That's so cruel. After all of these times where she's saying, how can you say you love me? You're mocking me, and now she's mocking <laughs> him? Well, I mean, neither of them seem like particularly nice people, so maybe <laughs> – it adds it adds up that they would be drawn to each other. I suppose so. In these toxic kind of relationships, there's always two sides to the um, yeah. <laughs> two sides to that dynamic. Uh, so at verse twenty, she said, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." And he awoke from his sleep and said, "I will go out as at other times and shake myself free." But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I don't know if he didn't realize that his hair was gone or he did and he didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So Samson is deeply humbled here, right? Yeah. In the next section, we're going to see the he's he's now been put into prison and he's he's uh he's laboring in prison with no eyes now because they've gouged, gouged his eyes out but they bring him in as this sort of like cruel freak show to entertain them as he's uh essentially like tied up and suffering which really i guess like while no one seems like a saint in this particular scenario like the philistines seem particularly cruel in this section um, verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. Now, how often have you heard like people use... At least, you know, over the course of your life, I feel like I hear this from time to time, that people will use, like, uh, God is like, he was on my side. That's why this good thing happened to me. 
um, that God was God was looking out for me, and that's like why I won this championship, or I I, I beat this guy up, or uh, we won this war, or whatever. Um, doesn't what they just said here seem like a warning against that? Don't don't use God as like a a cheerleader for your political battles. It does. I mean, it does certainly seem to go against the concept of gratitude and humility when things have gone your way. And um, I mean, basically by saying the creator of the universe likes me best is, you know, it, it seems like something one should just be quietly extraordinarily thankful for. <laughs> necessarily going in your face. <laughs> like while you I'm can. God's favorite. You suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, like while you can, if you do feel that way, like while you can be appreciative of it, if you really do think that that's what happened, you can be appreciative of it, but then like, don't. Oh yeah. By all means. I mean, it's a lot to be appreciative. I mean, it's a lot to be appreciative for, but maybe, maybe that could be between, between you and however you see God. Yeah, I suppose it's, it, it always cracks me up, I guess, like to, to see how often people will see examples of the wrong way to worship and like the wrong way to behave as a religious person. And this gets glossed over and like the the a few little lines here about uh, uh, this particular practice or this particular rule that are the ones that they'll focus on, but then they'll set aside completely this notion of of um, not uh, not being too proud or not being um, too cruel or um, I don't know. It really that that line really struck me. It was like, well, this should this should be a warning, I think, for for people not to. Um, not to act this way. And, and it really, it's odd to think that way in, in a way, because this whole thing is about a nation, right? Or like a race of people. Like the, or the Old Testament was about a specific tribe of people. This is their history, or this is their like holy text. And so there's like this vague kind of nationalism that carries throughout the whole thing. But that changes in the New Testament, obviously. And, um, and maybe that's where my like my Christian mind is like skewing it a little bit to be like no 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 that's not actually what it was about the whole thing's about Jesus the, the whole in the in the ending Jesus is there and Jesus was there in the beginning and whatever happened in the middle was just, just like the follies of of a, a group of people that happened to be to be focused in the right direction or something. Verse twenty five says when their hearts were merry they said call Samson that he may entertain us so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And they keep using this phrase, entertained, as though it's not like a, a blinded man who's wounded um, being tortured in some way or another. Uh, Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. 
Wait, wait, is that does it still say it in the biblical text, or is that something you just added? No, that's actually what it's in the text. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so wow. not only had he already killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, and not only had he already been going through these battles with them in in his final push, uh, collapsing this building that he was being um, tortured in publicly, uh, collapsing the entire thing down, he killed even more people. Than he'd, than he'd ever killed uh, before any of this had happened. And that's the end? Yeah, it's just no, not quite. But yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, that's it. Is this a what good... Else, f- what else does that say? It's, uh, I'm like, the, how do they wrap this up? <laughs> the, final, the final lines of this, uh, verse 31 says, Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. That's like... And that's the end of Samson. Huh. Wow. I, I mean, I, I, I said off air to you that I hadn't really heard a complete version of the story since I was a, a child. Um, and this is much, much grimmer than I remember. It. <laughs> it really is fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I have no, no idea what the purpose of this story is. That's the the really troubling thing to me, I think, when I read stories like this, because I can see it as, I think the easiest way for me to see it is like a cautionary tale. So, and this is one of the, and I mentioned before we started recording that I've been listening to some sermons about this and trying to kind of hone my mind into like, is there really a message to this? Like, what am I supposed to take away from this story? Yeah. Um, the, the, The one that resonated with me the most was, Look at Samson and look at how flawed he is. Look at how strong he thinks he is. Look at how capable and and wise of a leader that he thinks he is. And yet he is given over to malice. He's given over to uh, revenge. Uh, He's given over to lust. Uh, All these things that the Bible warns against, He's not, I don't think, at least in my reading of this, he's not this great leader, right? He is a deeply, deeply flawed man who happened to be very strong, but ultimately really screwed up a lot. Sorry to interrupt, but do you, do you think it's maybe like a like a proto-Saul, like kind of proto-Saul, Paul to Saul type redemption story where I mean, he, he starts out you know, as, as you described, and then in the end, you know, through his sort of uh, recommitment to the vow of the Nazarene, is somehow able to not necessarily redeem himself, but free himself from his torture. I mean, maybe that's what it has to do with. That like, like even 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 if you completely blow it with God, and you know, and then and then with your you know, fellow earthlings imprison you and torture you that, you know, by recommitting yourself to, to, to God or vows, you that like maybe you can be free. I mean, even though, I mean, the manner in which he frees himself is obviously uh, heavy handed to say the least. Um, <laughs> that is, um, uh, that's really that's smart. Think, that's a really great interpretation of that actually, because I think that might be ultimately rather than just taking it as like, Oh, look at this, look at this guy who, who was, who was so, screwed up and like ultimately wound up just being his, being his own destruction. I mean, he killed himself, but he also killed like all of these people with him that like he had cultivated a very close relationship with God. He had created, um, this, uh, this 
he, he had cultivated this power uh, within himself by, by way of God giving him this power. And then uh, he falls into the arms of someone who tempts him over and over to give away this strength. And, and ultimately, uh, he, is, he, gets, uh, he gets overtaken. And, uh, and, and it's not until his eyes are gouged out and he has to, to labor away in a, in a prison and that his hair begins to grow back. And then we see he, he, can, he can connect with God again and he can pray to God again and, and, and make, make that connection to God that he once had. I think that's really, really smart. I mean, I hope it's, it's not, I hope the message is not, you will smite your enemies for all of eternity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, um, I think most of the really popular uh, stories of supposed heroics in the, in the Bible, especially Old Testament heroics, are wildly misinterpreted and are, are misunderstood to a degree to which it becomes like you cannot take a story like this and make it into a children's book. Okay, this is far too violent. It's far too intense. Uh, there are far too many complicating factors. Uh, this is not something that should be cartoonized in the way that I was kind of picturing it earlier because, well, there were real lives it's, at stake. That, yeah, I mean, that's how, I, that's how I've always pictured it. I mean, up until this conversation, I think I have never imagined this in any other way other than in an animated form when, I've, you know, when I thought about it in my head. And that's, that's striking then to learn all these details and to go, oh, my gosh. And I think actually when you mentioned, when he wrote to me that this was going to be the verse, I, I think that if, if someone had asked me otherwise, I don't think I would have thought Samson and Delilah was a story from the Bible. I think I would have thought it was a, a Greek myth or something. Um, I mean, just, just because of how kind of far out and violent and sort of, I mean, with the exception of, you know, current possible interpretation. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's almost totally amoral and just sort of like a violent story of heroics. And um, the, the Nazarite, vow that uh, Samson took kind of gets glossed over a lot um, in yeah, the retellings I, I of this. I ever remember hearing that before. That, um, you know, we, the context is, is that his strength was not organic strength. He wasn't just like a weightlifter who was really a str- yeah. strong and powerful. This is someone who was like given like God steroids to like be, to be this... <laughs> To be I think I, I always knew that God had granted it through him through his hair, but I didn't realize that it was part of uh, like, a, like a, a ritualized code of conduct or like a predetermined code of various, you know, of, of related conducts. It is um, interesting to me that like the context of, and I don't know if this is exactly the right interpretation of it, but uh, the uh, avoid grapes, avoid uh, wine, uh, avoid strong drink, and also avoid dead bodies, like kind of implies that part of his vow is to be like a vegetarian or something, which oh, is, is really interesting. interesting to me that he's like the strongest, he's like this big, strong man, but he like doesn't eat meat and he, he doesn't hurt. He doesn't partake in any death at all, except yeah. for killing all the Philistines. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that seems like a, a lot of, you know, like a lot of, you know, warrior classes through history have, you know, essentially been ultra violent aesthetics. It is, um, yeah, it's interesting, especially since like, well, you're not supposed to be around a, you're not supposed to be around dead bodies, but you're literally killing thousands of people. How does that work, too? I don't, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. 
I feel like, um, I feel like I'm most, like any dead bodies you're not responsible for it. You can't be around. Is that it? Yeah. That, that if you're in, in a, Maybe. in a battle scenario, then, then it's fine. But if your family is dying, you can't be around those, mm-hmm. around those bodies. I, I think that like most of the episodes of this show that I've done and most of the passages that I've read through, I get to the end and I go, I think I have a pretty solid understanding of what it was I was supposed to take away from this. This is, even though it's one of the more well-known stories in the Old Testament, I feel more confused by this story than I think anything that I've read so far on the show. Yeah, this is, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, especially, I mean, that there, that there doesn't seem to be any commentator, I mean, any commentary from the author at the end either. It's just, it's just sort of a set of facts. This is what happened. Yeah. They went and buried him. And that's the, the end of Samson. Yeah. This was a really interesting one. So, well, thank you. Uh, honestly, thank you so much for, for joining me on this. I, uh, this was a really cool experience to, to be able to read through this story with you. And yeah. I feel like you brought a lot of yeah. really cool stuff to the table. As, as did you. I'm, I'm glad that we had a chance to think about this very puzzling story in a, <laughs> in a concentrated way. Yeah. I absolutely don't think I ever would have thought about this tale for the rest of my life um, had you not brought it up. And it certainly is a, an interesting one. Yeah, I'll be thinking about this for a few days after this. I think. Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too, for sure. <laughs> is the um before I usually close out all of my episodes with um, a reading of a poem, um, but before we do that, just really quickly, is there anything that you want to plug for folks that are listening to go follow you in places or download things or listen to things? Oh, uh, all of our social media stuff is at uh, Shushu for Life, which is X I U X I U F O R L I F E. Um, and, uh, if you are a fan of difficult and undifficult underground music, maybe check it out. If you're not, there's a lot of other music in the world, which you probably will enjoy. <laughs> uh, selfishly. And I think it's probably obvious from me asking you to do this show, but I am a big fan. So I really, I mean, oh, it's an honor. I appreciate you to, uh, coming on. Oh, that's, that's really nice of you to say. Really Your show is fantastic. Thank you very much. So the um, the poem today is by Donald Justice. It is called An Old Fashioned Devil. Who is it snarls our plow lines, wastes our fields, unbaits our hooks and fishes out our streams? Who leads our hunts to where the good earth yields to marshlands and we sink, but no one screams? Who taught children where the harlot lives? They gnaw her nipples and they drain her pap, clapping their little hands like primitives with droll abandon bouncing on her lap. Our wives may adore him, us he bores to tears. Who cares if to dry our yellowing grass? He strikes a match or two and then disappears. It's only the devil on his flop-eared ass, a beast too delicate to bear him well, come plodding by us on his way to hell. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 